when it comes to um, user management and uh, more specifically creating users in Linux the text file that gets modified is the etc password file and then when you set the, uh, the actual password for the user then the etc shadow uh, gets modified so let's take a look at these files first let's see the etc password okay here in the etc password you will find an entry for each user and each of the parameters on the entry are separated by a colon the first parameter is the the name of the user account so in this case it's called NIS student the second one um, is actually the password but in most uh, Linux systems most modern Linux systems um, we use what it's called a shadow password and what that does is instead of putting the 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 hash of the password on the on the etc password file which is readable by every user in the system we put that password in the etc shadow which is only readable by root that way um, some uh, regular user can go in and find the, the, the hash and try to break it then comes the user ID then comes the group ID each user has a unique user ID and then uh, it belongs to a primary group which has its own unique ID as well then uh, there's a blank there and then comes the home directory for the user and then comes the the shell that the user um, has been given um, so if you want to create a user you have some options you could either um, just create an, uh, an entry like this in the etc password file or you can use the command uh, user add user add basically uh, all it does is it has different parameters to set each of these fields that we've talked about and, and basically you can pass what these fields are so you can pass the parameter to set the home directory to a particular one you can pass a parameter to uh, to set this shell to whatever you decide and then but at minimum it needs the the, the name of the user account so user add um, nis user one would basically create this entry with the default um, user ID and it will create a group uh, uh, a group with the same name as the user account uh, by default it puts the the account um, home directory in slash home and the name of the account and then bash is the default shell then when a user is created um, there's a the, there's a set of files that get put into the home directory and these files are found in the etc scale folder um, so all of these files which are shell files uh, with environment variables and such get put into the um, to the account once it's created and the user logs in so if you create a user account and you log into the account you will see these files if you're a system administrator and you want to set some specific shell uh, variables for the user so that when the accounts are created these are set then you can modify these files like the bash rc if you're using the bash shell uh, you can edit that file in the etc scale and put all the variables that you need and then um, that will be put be um, copied to the user's uh, home directory and, and then the user can go ahead and, and get, get those variables when they log in the first time um, the the shadow password um, basically keeps the the, the password uh, hash and let's take a look at it um, here for example for NIS student we can see it, the hash and then 
these fields here are the password expiration um, fields and um, like I said in most Linux systems we use shadow so it basically just points to here to find that uh, that hash but this file is only readable by root so nobody can actually a regular user can actually find what this is and try to break it um, now when it comes to groups the file that um, we're concerned is the etc group file so let's take a look at that more etc group in here basically your group is just um, a group name and then the group ID and then you can also set uh, a password for the group but we really don't do that um, and then to create a group you could use the um, the command group add and then you can do group add and then the name of the group and then what that will do is it'll create a group with that name and it will give it an ID uh, that's unique the next one in line uh, there are commands out there that you can use if you've already created the accounts and um, you want to go in and edit some of these fields you can um, you can go ahead and edit these files yourself or you can use some commands out there and I've listed a few of those on the notes and you can look at those uh, to do that but sometimes it's just easier to go into the etc password or the group file and, and just make the changes there directly um, if you were on a, if you had a GUI interface and you were in uh, run level 5 you can run the command system uh, config users which is basically the Red Hat user manager and this gives you a really nice utility to create users and modify all this information the expiration and passwords the, the groups that the user belongs the um, all kinds of information of all your users in your system and uh, again you need a, um, a graphical interface if I run it here it's gonna tell me that it requires X server so I won't be able to run it but um, sometimes it's also nice to do this from the command line if you don't have that and, and, and modifying these files allows you to do that um, so that's basically it for uh, user management um, the next thing I want to talk about is um, all of these um, files keep the user information locally and one of the problems with that is that sometimes you have maybe 10 or 20 servers out there and you just wanna you wanna use a central repository for all the accounts instead of having accounts on each of these systems separately you want a central repository where all uh, users get that information from and this can be done using the um, uh, either LDAP or NIS NIS stands for Network Information Server and um, and basically what it allows you to do is to create users on the NIS server and then uh, configure your uh, client workstations to point to that NIS server to, to find that information um, it's very simple to do and most um, Linux and Unix systems have used NIS for years nowadays more people are turning the, into LDAP for this similar thing uh, because LDAP is a little bit more secure and, and it's more widely used nowadays but um, NIS is like the traditional way of doing this so let's let's take a look at how we can go ahead and configure this workstation to be an NIS client and, and 
and grab that information from an NIS server. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to SSH into my virtual machine and I'm going to make that virtual machine an NIS client to the server which is CSC570E. Um, so what I need to do first is run the command uh, system config authentication. This is basically a tool that if you have X Windows will run a nice GUI interface to, to let you configure this. The nice thing about it is that it also has a text-based um, piece which you can run from the terminal. So let's go ahead and, and run that. And here you can see it's the authentication configuration utility and here you can tell it what type of authentication you want to do. Um, like I said, we can use LDAP or we can use NIS or nowadays you can even do Windbind which basically allows you to um, uh, get the information from an Active Directory or Windows uh, Active Directory. Uh, in my case, I want to use NIS for this example. Uh, we could easily do LDAP, but um, I have set up an NIS server and it's basically the same concept. Um, so here for authentication, we are using MD5 passwords. So when you saw that password for the account uh, NIS student, you saw that long password and that's actually an MD5 of the actual password. Uh, we're using shadow passwords. Uh, we're not using LDAP, we're not using Kerberos here. We're not using Windows, so we'll go to next. So we, we checked, um, use NIS. So now we're gonna go to next. And when it comes to NIS, you need two things. You need a domain uh, for your NIS environment and you need the, the server that's the NIS server. In, I, in, in our case, I set up the domain to be uh, in capital CSC 5. 70e and and the server is actually nis.csc570e.edu which is actually an alias in dns to the csc570e server so i'm going to put that information and click ok and And basically what it's done, it's stop port map. Um, NIS uses RPC commands to, to, to communicate, so you need the port map service. And, um, and it's basically um, stopped and then restarted the port map um, service. And then there are two more servers that need to be started. Um, the first one is YP bind. NIS used to be called the Yellow Pages, so YP Bind is is it's it's the name of the client. So let me restart that um, with service uh, YP Bind restart. Um, as you see, it was already running when I did this system config authentication. So that's basically what it did. Uh, Portmap has already been restarted. The only other one that's very, uh, the only other uh, service that you need that is uh, useful is the um, YP passwords or the Yellow Pages password. What this does is it allows you to change your password from the client side, and that changes it on the server, on the NIS server. So I'm going to start that one as well. So uh, service restart YP pass WD. 
Mm, I think I misspelled that, so I'm gonna run it in init that D YP path. YP path. Oh, it doesn't look like it's installed in this machine, so we'll just skip that. Um, that's an additional server, like I said, that allows you to sync your password, and uh, we have to install the RPM for it, which is not installed currently, so we'll just skip it. At minimum, you just need port map and YP bind, so that's what we have. So the next thing we want to do is run check config on these two services, so they start automatically next time we reboot our machine, so that uh, we can continue being the NIS client. So we want to do a check config YP bind on. And we want to do the same thing for port map. Now, if we run NTCSV, we go to the bottom and we should see that YP bind now has a check. So it will start automatically. So that's what we bind. We want port map would have the same thing. So now it looks like um, we are in good shape. Uh, I want to ping DNS server just to make sure that um, DNS is configured correctly and it can uh, resolve the host. So what we put in was um, nis.csc57e.edu and it pings okay, so that's good. Um, the next thing to do is to do an RPC info minus p local host to see all the rpc stuff that we have running we have port map running which is good and we have yp bind so that's good that's a good sign so in order to test this i'm gonna um oh before i do that let's there's one more file that gets modified when we ran this command um, system config authentication and that file is an nsswitch.conf let's take a look at this file and i'll explain what it does Basically, this file just tells the system where are you going to look for information for different things. So here, um, we, it's modified this file and it's told it that for password, it's going to look in files first, which is the local database. And then if it doesn't find it there, it's going to go to NIS. The same thing for shadow, for the actual password, and the same thing for groups. Now, for, for some reason, it's also modified the host, so I don't want for hosts or for DNS information to, to go to NIS because I don't have any information right now there. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to comment that, and I'm going to tell it to look in files. So look in the ETC host first for, um, to, to resolve a host name to the IP, and if it, it can't resolve it from the ETC host, then to go to DNS. And then everything else, I want files. So I don't want NIS for protocols. I don't want NIS for services. And I don't want NIS for auto mounts at this point. Um, so basically, these are all the um, where your system looks for information for different um, components. And the ones that NIS are going to be helpful for us are passwords, the password information, which is the user um, username, user ID, shell, home directory, and that type of thing. Shadow, which is the actual password, and then group information as to what groups the user belongs to. So that's all we need in this file. So we're going to save it. And now we're ready to test this. To test this, there's a utility goal called get end. So we're going to run that utility get end. And then we're going to put password as the field that we want to check. 
and we want to check it for NIS student which is actually a, a, an account that exists on the NIS server and not locally so let's see if it gets it see and what it did is it went into a query the NIS server and it returned this information and if you can see we can do a grab for NIS student on ETC password and you will see that there is no entry so it got this information from the from the actual NIS server another way to test this is to use a service like SSH so we can do SSH NIS student at localhost and then um, say yes and then the password for NIS student in this case I set it to student so let's see if it lets me in I put student and and it went ahead and and, and, and created my um, and let me log in what it's telling me here is that there is no home directory so what I need to do on this system is create that home directory so I'm gonna do make dear home NIS student and then chmod minus r NIS student home NIS student to give the user access to that what I meant to do was change ownership to make that user the owner of that directory so now the NIS student owns that directory and we can do a less minus LAH home NIS student and see that it's owned by NIS student which is good and then what I want to do is CP minus RP etc scale star all the files there and put them in home NIS student dot star is what I want so we'll copy all the files there it's not copying so let me go to that directory and cp one cp dot star into home and I student okay and then copies all that I'm gonna overwrite those because I had already copied and for some reason it didn't work the first time so now we can hold to home and I student and and find all these files here which I'm not sure why it copy all those files um, I'm gonna remove those files okay so now I have my bash stuff which is what I wanted the only thing left to do is to change the ownership so John minus R and a student dot on this directory ls minus l h and now and a student owns that and that's okay so now we can run our ssh command again so ssh and i student to localhost the password is student and this time it logged me in 
but it's telling me that it cannot find the group ID 530. Um, so let me look at that. I can run that get end command again. And look at that information. Um, the NIS student belongs to group 530. So what I need to do is go back to my system, to my NIS system, which is this, and then grab 530 on ETC group. And there is no 530. So what I need to do is do a VI on ETC group. And 1500 is the group NIS students. So what I want to do is um, go to ETC password and go to NIS students and put that user in 1500 for its group and then make those changes take effect. And now we can test this again. So we'll run the SSH command too. And now we can see that the user belongs to group 1500, which is the NIS students group. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a change ownership minus R NIS student NIS students is the group NIS student is the user NIS students is the group. And then the directory is home and I student. Okay, ls minus lh home and I student. And we can see that we got the right permissions for all the bash shell configuration files. So now we should be able to run our SSH command. We'll SSH localhost as, as an NIS student, and the password is student. And we've logged in and we got no errors. So, so basically, um, what this shows us is that um, with NIS, we can get all the password information and um, shell information, home directory information from NIS, which is a central re repository. But we still have to create the home directories and make sure that the permissions are correct before we go on. Um, so that was, that was a good test of that. Uh, I'm going to exit now. And uh, since we're discussing permissions, I just want to cover permissions real quick. Um, in Linux, basically everything is a file. And um, there are different types of files. And these files have permissions. So let's take a look, for example, our TMP directory, ls minus lah. And when it comes to permissions, um, you will see um, these, when you do an ls minus la to list all the files, you will see um, the permissions right here. And there's 10 of these fields. The first one tells you the type of um, file it is. If it's a directory, it will have a D. If it's a, um, a block or a disk, like ls dev sda1 ls minus la, it will have a B for block. Um, if it's a socket file, like, uh, for example, 
let me find the socket file is uh, var run dbus system bus socket this is a socket file see and it has an s on the first field so this basically tells you what type of file it is if it's just a simple file it will just have this the dash now the next thing is the first after that the first three the next three are the permissions for the user or the owner which in this case is root right here then after that the next three are the permissions for the group which is root is the group that owns this file echo test.cc and finally the last three are for everybody else so every other user the type of permissions that user has so in this case for echo test.cc we know that it's just a regular file because there's a dash we know that the uh, the owner or root has read and write but no execute then the group which is also root has read and that's it no execute or write and then everybody else has just read uh, if we wanted to change the permissions we could use the command um, chmod and chmod takes basically uh, a minimum three uh, three different numbers and, and the num and, and it also can take letters but the numbers are easy to remember um, four is for read two is for write and one is for execute and so if you wanted to give read write and execute you would add all of those and that would be a seven if you wanted to give read and write it would be four plus two or six if you just wanted to give read then it would be just four if you wanted to give just write it would be two if you want to just give uh, execute it would be just one and then you have to pass at least three of those numbers so one for each the user or the owner then the group the group that the file is owned by and then uh, finally for everybody else so if I want to change uh, and give um, this echo test file execute give the owner uh, read write execute and then give everybody else read and execute and then give the group also read and execute. I will I will write um, I will run the command chmod seven five five uh, echo test .cc. And then if we do and check it, oh, no. echo test .cc. See now we we've changed the permission, so it's still a file. The owner has read write and execute or seven the group which is root has five which is read and execute four plus one and finally everybody else also has read and execute which is four plus one um, now there's one more thing with chmod that you can do and that is um, to set the the uid or suit or to set the group id or sgid and what this does is it allows for suit it allows you to um, to execute a file as a regular user but with uh, with basically if it's if it's set UID as the user that owns the file so let's say for example that I have this file here echo test and this file is an executable and basically what it does is I just compiled this simple C++ program. Let's take a look at it. This C++ pro program, all it does is it opens the file tmpresponse.txt and it writes to that file. 
The only problem with that is if I run this as a regular user, that file is owned by root and only root has read, write, and execute. Nobody else does. So if I if I um, if I run this um, if I run this command as root as as a regular user, it's gonna it's gonna fail because I'm I'm trying to open a file that that belongs to root, so it's not gonna work. So if I change the permissions of the the executable to uh, 0755 echo test. Um, see now the the user the owner root has read write execute the the group has read and execute and the user has read and execute so if I run this as the user student it's gonna fail and tell me that it, it's not able to open the file and let's just check that su minus student and then I'm gonna run it tmp echo test see and it tells me that it's unable to open the file because that file, as we can see here, response.txt, the one that we're trying to write to, it's only only root can write to it, and student can't write to it. But let's say me as the administrator, I wanna uh, I wanna allow uh, student to to be able to write to that file, um, and this is done. And a perfect example for this is the etc password. So um, the etc password is is owned by um, it's owned by root, and only root can write to it. If we look at it. Um, only root can write the owner everybody else just has read access but when we change our passwords the user actually has to go and modify that file so how do we how do we do that and that we do that through the uh, through using the set you so let's go back to our example now I'm going to change the permissions uh, and give set UID to this echo test and to do that you put a four before the permission so you do chmod 4 and then 755 because I want uh, the owner to have uh, the owner to have read write execute and then everybody else just to have uh, execute and read um, if we put just 755 it assumes that 0 is the first number but in this case we've told it for 755 and that's what you do for set UID if we were doing set GID, which is basically the same concept, but this time for the group to be able to to run it as the group that owns the file, it would be a two. And you could do one, two for sticky bits. And sticky bits we really don't use anymore. That's to keep programs running in memory. And we used that in the past, but not, not anymore. So I'm not even covering it. So what I'm going to do is do chmod4755 on echo test. And then if I do an LL, now you can see that for the owner, there is read, write, and then under the execute, there's an S. So there's a sticky bit set or a sticky uh, set you would set on the, on the file. So now if I go ahead and SU minus student and I run this command, TMP uh, echo test. I don't get the error and now if I put it in the background and do a ps minus elf in grep echo I can see that this command is actually running I, I ran it as the user student but it's running under the root account which is how it, it allows me to to uh, 
to to write to that file so that's the nice thing about uh, set UN and like I said set GID is basically the same concept but this time for the group um, it, it's nice and useful sometimes but it, it's also um, uh, dangerous and really insecure because hackers usually try to find files that have this so they can run different things as root and modify these files to put all their commands there so you have to be very careful when you use these two uh, uh, commands and, and, and when you set these kind of permissions um, because they can they can really cause uh, problems on your system as far as security goes um, the last concept I want to explain is the umask um, let me create a directory on uh, TMP, TMP UMask. Okay, I created a directory. So if we go to TMP, we see that there's a directory there called UMask, and it's a D for directory. Okay, the UMask basically tells you um, the permissions that files created in a directory will have. So if I do, um, if I do, if I cd to UMask directory, and I run UMask. It tells me that the umask for this directory is 022. What that means is that um, basically what you do is you subtract that from 777, and that's basically the permissions that files created there will have. So 022, if you subtract that from 777, is 755. So any file created here will have 755 or which means um, rewrite and execute for the owner and then read and execute for the user and group. But uh, one of the things in Red Hat 4, um, they've taken away the, the, the execute bit on the UMass. So if I create a file here, touch test, touch just creates a file with a timestamp. So I'm gonna create that file. If you look, it, it has read and execute, read and write, but it took the execute out and it took the execute here and it took the execute here. So even though I specified that I want to execute in the UMask, it didn't do that. Now I can change the UMask for this directory and do UMask um, seven. Let's see, zero zero zero, zero zero zero. If we subtract that from seven seven seven, it will give everybody. Um, it should give everybody read, write, and execute. Uh, but again, it won't do execute, so we should see read and write for everybody. So let's change the UMass to that. And now let's touch test one. And see, we see that it gave everybody read and write, the owner, the group, and everybody else. Again, it, it doesn't do it for execute anymore, and that's one of the things for security reasons that they took out on Red Hat for. Um, UMask won't go in and change files that already exist in the directory. It's only helpful and useful uh, files that are created in that directory uh, after you run the command. So um, that's something that you need to know.